How you doing, everybody? So good to see you. You're a good-looking group. Do me a favor, turn to somebody, give them a high five, and say, you look amazing. Some of you even had it right. I heard people going, amazing. I like it. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 17. That's going to be our jumping off place today. We are finishing up our series called Restoring Forgotten Virtues. And we've been talking about, you know, some of the virtues that are so important in our culture today and how most of us think that they're already there in our lives and working. But the truth is, is when we do a little bit of a self-examination, we find out they're not as strong inside of us as we thought they were. In fact, sometimes our behavior doesn't exactly match our beliefs. And so there's a struggle that's going on. So we've been talking about how do we restore those forgotten virtues. In the first week, we talked about the forgotten virtue of honor and who the Bible says that we should show honor to. Second week, we dealt with a, a difficult subject when we talked about loyalty. Last week, we talked about a very important virtue, and that's the virtue of integrity. Now, this week... I want to talk to you about a virtue that I think is almost totally forgotten in our culture, and it's a little shocking. In fact, I heard a story uh, about a Boston consultant who was working with a bunch of college graduates, and he took all these college graduates together, and he said, hey, listen, there is one word that people are using to describe this emerging generation that's coming into the workforce, and it's a word that begins with the letter E. He then asked all these recent graduates, what do you think that word is? It begins with the letter E and describes this emerging generation. And some of them said, these young hopefuls, they said, well, energetic. Others said, excellent. Some said, exceptional. And they all came up with these great E words. And the consultant said, actually, the number one most commonly used word to describe this generation as they move into the marketplace is the word entitled. Now, for those of you that are millennials, please know that I am not picking on you uh, this morning. But the millennials have been labeled as the entitled generation, right? And, and, and before any of you know, those of you that are my age or older say, yeah, that younger generation, uh, you know, we have to realize we had a huge part in creating by our actions and our attitudes a generation that feels very entitled. And you might say, well, how did we do that? Well, in a lot of different ways. For one thing, for those of, my, those of you who are kind of my age or older, it was very typical for us to work long hours and be going 1,000 miles an hour all the time. And, and that ended up in a lot of divorces. And so because people love their kids, they tried to make up for their lack of time by never saying no. And here, you can have this. And you can have that. And I'll make more money and we'll just give you more. So the younger generation just kind of felt like, well, if I want it, I can get it. It's there. It's there for me. Then we also overprotected them. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. Let me tell you what I mean. When I was a kid, you could ride in the back of a pickup truck with like 18 other kids, and it wasn't a problem, right? Anybody know? Anybody remember that? You could just do that. Now you have to strap them in with like 43 different types of belt buckles and all that sort of stuff. We are overprotecting. I mean, you can't even ride a bike without a helmet anymore. You know, we're going to protect that next generation. When I was a kid, you actually had to win something to get a trophy. You know what I'm talking about? 
You had to win something. Now you just have to show up. It's like, you know, hey, Johnny, you came in last. You didn't try. You were very, very slow, but we're so proud of you. Here's a trophy. Here's a trophy for coming in last, right? Man, what that's done is it's built a generation of people who feel entitled. And don't get me wrong. My generation has bought into this 100%. A few weeks ago in our house, we ordered a pizza, and I got frustrated because it was taking a little bit longer than I thought it should. I mean, think about this for a second. I picked up a smartphone. I dialed a number. It went into space, (laughs) bounced off a satellite, came down in the pizza joint where they took the order, built the pizza, and delivered it to my house right? And I think that takes too long. Entitled? Maybe just a little, right? So what I want to do today is I'm going to talk about the opposite of entitlement. I want to talk about the forgotten virtue of gratitude. Can everybody say gratitude? Gratitude. Now, I want to take a minute and show you a very interesting story in the Bible about gratitude. It's down in the book of Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. It's a story about Jesus. And the Bible says, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, let me just stop right there. I want to give you a little bit of context, all right, so that you'll understand. Leprosy was one of the most awful diseases of their time. It would start with these painful, oozing sores that were just terrible. And then as the sickness continued, it would begin to damage the nerve ends, at first through extreme pain, and then eventually those nerve ends would kind of die out and there would be no pain whatsoever. Uh, They would just kind of stop working and you wouldn't feel any pain. And because of that, they could literally go to sleep in the middle of the night. And because they couldn't feel any pain, they had no real feeling there, they might wake up and a rat's nod their finger off or, or something like that. I mean, that, they, and they wouldn't even be aware of it. They could get burned or they could get cut and maybe not even notice that it had happened. And as bad as all that is, to add insult to the injury, because leprosy was so contagious and so disgusting, according to Leviticus 17, if somebody got close, you know what they had to do? They had to scream out, unclean! Unclean! So that no one would get close to them. So that no one would get around them. Can you imagine how humiliating this had to have been? These people, not only were they physically hurting all the time, But you can only imagine the emotional pain to not be able to have relationships and contact and and intimacy, not to have been hugged for years and years. So here are these 10 guys, and across the street they see Jesus, this guy that's been rumored as, as, man, he's been healing people, and they've been coming into contact with him, and he's been casting out demons and healing the sick, and there's been miracles all around him. And in their excitement, they call out to him from a distance, Jesus Please help. I mean, this could be the greatest moment of their lives. I mean, if he could hear us, if he could heal us, then this would be the miracle of all miracles. So they cry out. And the next verse says, when they saw him, or when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. I mean, this is a miracle. They're healed of this disease, this awful disease. 
they were healed, their disease was gone, their greatest dreams, their greatest hopes. Jocelyn talked about miracles. This is a miracle. The most outlandish prayer they could have prayed had just been answered. Verse 15 says something very surprising. The Bible says, one of them, everybody say one. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? I mean, you could almost hear the surprise in Jesus' voice. You guys are begging. You were, you were pleading. You were crying out. You were in deep distress. Your, your life was basically nothing. You were just trying to survive out your days the best that you could. And you cried out, and God sent me. And this is the miracle of all miracles. And where did you go? What are you doing? Now, let's be honest. Let's look at it realistically. The other nine, they probably weren't bad guys. They were just probably thinking, you know, i got to go home and tell my wife. i got to see my family. I mean, you know, probably they're thinking, I mean, I didn't, I didn't deserve this disease. It wasn't my fault. And because of that, I deserve this healing. I mean, this is what should have happened. It's almost like they maybe slipped into this entitled mindset. And only one stopped to thank God for his blessings. So here's my question to us this morning as we get started. And I really want you to think about this question. I want you to kind of dwell on it, especially even through the week. Here's the question. Will you be the one? Will you be the one? Because truthfully, the odds are stacked against you. Would you be the one? Think about it. Would you be the one who takes time during your day to give glory and honor to this one who gave you life? Will you be the one to stop in your busyness and lift up a true heartfelt worship to the creator and the sustainer of our universe? You know, will you be the one to give him praise and honor and glory you know, to, the, to the guy who, while you were still a sinner and weren't even aware of him, he wasn't even on your radar, he already had you on his radar and he had already sent his son to die as a sacrifice for your sins, even though you deserved the opposite. Will you be the one? And not just with God, but what about the people around you? Will you be the one who stops long enough to write a thank you note to express your gratitude to somebody who maybe impacted your life? Will you be the one today to say thank you to those who right now are ministering to your children faithfully every week? You know, thank you. Thank you for investing in my kids. Thank you for serving me and my family. Will you be the one to stop and say thank you to a coach or a, a teacher or the person who takes the time out to prepare and study and lead your small group? Will you be the one to stop and show honor and gratitude? Or will you be like so many other people in our culture and say, hey, I deserve this. I've got it coming to me. I don't have time to stop and say thank you. No, will you be the one? Will you be the one? Will we, or will we continue to live with an ungrateful mindset. Now let me just quickly show you one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. This is a story that just has impacted my life over and over again. Jesus tells the story of about a father who had two sons, a younger one and an older one. And I think that if you really kind of look at this story, you can see the ungrateful mindset in both of these guys. It's there, all right? Let me give you two quick phrases. If you're taking notes, write this down. 
The first ungrateful mindset says, I want it now. I want it now. Everybody say that. I want it now. Right. When do you want it? I want it now. Right. Exactly. I, I was working on this message. Sometimes I like to go into like a coffee shop sometimes and work on my messages because I can look around and see people and think, you know, how would what I'm, I'm working on, how would it impact somebody else? And I was working on this message and I stopped and I ordered an Americana and, and I got there and I was waiting for them to, you know, fix it and it was taking a little bit too long. <laughs> I know. And so I'm standing there, and I'm thinking about it, and it's like a minute. It's like two minutes, and I'm drumming my fingers. Three minutes, I'm drumming my fingers. You know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling that impatience and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, think about it. I walk in and order something. They brew it fresh to order. They mix it for me, and I actually get it in a matter of minutes. And yet I've been so conditioned that I deserve and demand and I want it now. See the same attitude in the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. Jesus says this in Luke 15, 11. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, all right? Now, as you probably know, traditionally, you don't get your inheritance until somebody dies. But the younger son says, I want it now. Dad, I I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. I want it now. I deserve it. I want it. I don't want your rules. I don't want to wait. I I want what you have, and I want it now. So the father, for whatever reason, gives it to his son. And if you know the story, the Bible says that he goes out and he squanders it. He, he blows it all on wild, crazy living. And what it took his father probably years and years, maybe even decades to accumulate, this ungrateful son wasted in a matter of months. I want it now. Now what's interesting to me is our culture really has an I want it now mindset. You can see people in their 20s who really feel like they deserve the same standards that their parents are living at, only in their 20s, right? I want the same kind of home. I want to drive the same kind of car. I want to take the same kind of vacation. I'm just in my 20s, but I want to live at the same standards or better than my parents do. And we might say, well, shame on them. Really? Where do you think they learned it? Right? They learned it from us, (laughs) from their parents who said, you know what, if I want it, I'm going to go get it now. Guys, it's been a long time, but it was probably like my great-grandparents and my my grandparents who had this really old kind of archaic philosophy that many of you have never heard of, and it's kind of hard to explain, but I'm going to do my best to put it in simple language. They believed this crazy thing that if you wanted something, you had to save up your money until you could get it. I know, I know. Let me just say it again, because I know this is hard to understand. I'll I'll say it in a way that makes more sense, all right? It's crazy, but even if you wanted something really bad and you felt like you just had to have it, you still wouldn't buy it until you had the money. (laughs) Some of you are going, well, why not? You you can just charge it and pay 29% interest for the rest of your life, right? I know, I know, I mean, I know. But they would actually save up their money, and they would do something that they called wait. <laughs> what does wait mean? Wait means you don't get it now. I mean, I know, it's, it's totally insane, right? 
uh, because we've been trained and we've been conditioned, and our generation can condition the next generation that if you want it, you deserve it now. And if you don't have it, you should because the world owes you and something is terribly wrong. I want it. I need it. I've got to have it. You know, give it to me now. Now call it what you want, but that's an entitled mindset. Second mindset that we see in this story is we feel like I deserve more. I deserve more. Now, this was the older brother. If you know the, the story, the younger brother goes out and just blows all of his her- inheritance. And then one day he wakes up, he finds himself in a pig stall, and he's feeding pigs because he's, he, he can't get any other job. He's so hungry that he's looking at the pig's food and thinking, this looks good. Imagine being at that place. And he starts thinking. He starts thinking, you know, my dad's servants live better than this. And I know I've blown it. I know I've messed up. I can't expect him to take me as a son anymore. But maybe if I go back and just say, hey, look, I don't deserve to be your son. Could I be a servant in your house? Maybe he'll take me back. Maybe he won't, but at least I've got to try. And so he starts heading back. And the Bible says, and what one of the most beautiful pictures of the heavenly father, it shows him, it says that while the son was a great distance off, the father saw him. You know what that means? It means that he was standing on the horizon and looking, constantly looking and watching. And when he saw him, he ran to him. And, and it's kind of like, thank God that my son is back. And he, he threw his he threw his robe over his shoulders. Before his son could even get out his thing, you know, I don't deserve to be a, a son. His father threw his robe over him and said, you're my son. Put his ring on his finger. And then he said, throw a big honking party, man. Go kill the fatted calf. Steak for everybody, right? He throws this big celebration. But the older brother, the big brother, he starts having his own party, a pity party. He's outside going, wait a minute. I never broke the rules. Nobody did that for me. I mean, I deserve that. I deserve that and more. Here's how the story plays out. Luke 15, 29. The older son says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Somebody owes me. I deserve more. Dad, I deserve more. And here's what we see so often. I deserve it. I deserve a better paying job. And if I can't get a better paying job, then I'm just not going to work because I need to get what I deserve. I need the job I deserve. Or I deserve these benefits, right? I deserve this vacation, you know? I mean, it's crazy. In our culture, you literally have 10-year-olds who feel like they're being punished because they don't have the right cell phone. 10 years old. My cell phone doesn't play all the games I want to play and, and all of that. Ten years old, I deserve more. I'm entitled to this. Where did they learn it? From my generation. I'm worth it. I deserve it, right? It's an ungrateful mindset. So let's just do this. Let's take a moment and just kind of sit back and see what God would say to us about the ungratefulness in our own heart. Let's examine it and see if it's there. And what I want to do is I want to break this down into three sections. And I want you to be really honest. I want you to really kind of take a moment and examine your heart as I talk about this and ask yourself to to let God expose any areas of ungratefulness in your heart. And let's just deal with it biblically. 
and give God control of our hearts. Amen? First one, if you're taking notes, let God expose any material or financial ungratefulness in your heart. Material or financial. It could be, you know what? Uh, I'm dissatisfied because my neighbor just got a new car. And I want a new car. They got a new car. I want a new car. Even though mine's paid for and it's running fine, it makes me kind of want something else. Or it could be in your home. You don't have the right kind of countertops in your home. And it's just frustrating you. All right? Or you know, you know what? If we, if we have another kid, they're going to have to share bedrooms. I mean, who can raise godly kids if they're sharing bedrooms? I mean, that's just not right. Or this one, you got a closet full of clothes and you look at it, help me out if you know this one, you look at it and goes, man, I've got nothing to wear. Isn't that crazy? I mean, who bought those clothes, right? We did. And yet we look in there and there's a closet full of clothes, but we can't find anything that we really like out of all these different things. I've been to places on this planet where if somebody said, hey, I don't have anything to wear, they actually truly don't. They don't. And yet in our closet full of things, we're going, I don't have anything to wear because I don't like my clothes. I don't like my car. It doesn't have all the latest gizmos and gadgets. It doesn't have a backup camera. How am I surviving without a backup camera? I just don't, I don't, I don't know that. My wife's got a backup camera, right? I don't have one. Think about it. If this is you, write it down, call it what it is. If you struggle with these things, those kind of thoughts, you are materially and financially ungrateful. Just own it. Just go ahead and put a star by that on your message notes. The next thing may be relational ungratefulness. Relational ungratefulness. It could be that you're looking at your spouse and you're going, you know what, my husband, I, I, I wish he were more whatever, right? Just fill in the blank. I wish he had a better job. I wish he made more. I wish he was a, more of a spiritual leader. I wish he was more like you know, her husband. I, I wish he could fix things around the house. He's just not what he could be. Or my wife. Man, I wish she was more fun. I wish she was more romantically involved. I wish she wasn't always with her friends and she spent time with me and she was always with me. I wish she'd cook more. I wish she had a better paying job. Whatever it is, she's not, he's not. Or I'm not happy because I don't have a girlfriend. I wish I had a boyfriend like everybody else. I wish my boyfriend had a job, you know? And it just goes on and on. My friends aren't whatever. If you're relationally ungrateful, put a star by that on your message notes and just go ahead and write it down and say, yeah, that's me. Just be honest. Third thing could be circumstantial ungratefulness. And I really don't like my job. I just don't like my job. I don't like my house. I don't, I don't like my hair. My hair's, my hair's cur- curly and I want it to be straight. You know? Or my hair is straight and I want it to be curly. Or, or I, I don't have any hair. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, man, it's just, it's always something. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get the breaks everybody else seems to get. You know, things just, life just seems to go better for everybody else. It doesn't work out for me like it does for everybody else. It's circumstantial ungratefulness. And maybe that's some of you, and you need to put a star by that and just accept that that's kind of happening in your heart. And then let's do this. Let's just take the next few minutes and just talk about the remedy for this. How do we cultivate that attitude 
of gratitude? How do we do it? How do we go from being entitled to grateful? Well, here's how we do it. We're going to decide to turn blessings into praise. We're going to turn them into praise. We're going to make a decision. Every blessing that comes from God, we're going to turn into praise. There's a verse from a worship song that goes, Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Praise. That's what I'm going to do. Every blessing you pour out on me, God, I'm going to turn it back to praise. Write this down. Why is it so important? Because every blessing I don't turn back to praise turns into pride. Every blessing that I don't turn back to praise to God turns into pride because I'll think, I deserve this. I had this coming to me. I've worked for this. I deserve it. I want it now. It's pride. It's entitlement. Every blessing, every good thing comes from God. And this morning, that needs to be on our hearts. God, every blessing that, 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 that hits my life, it comes from you. God, you love me so much. You are the giver of good gifts. So I'm going to give you praise and honor and credit for all of this. I'm going to cultivate this attitude of gratitude. Paul said it this way, and I love this, this, these couple of verses here in Philippians. It says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He says, you know, whatever the circumstances, whatever's going on in my life, if I'm healthy, if I'm not healthy, if I've got money or money's tight and I don't really have any money, if I like my job, if I don't, whatever. I was thinking about this as I was writing it down I was thinking, it's not in my notes, but I just want to share this with you because I was thinking about it. When I lived in D.C. years and years ago, um, God put us there. He put us there for a reason. I went through three years of what I I just called the three years of hell. (laughs) I had a job that was just like one of the worst jobs ever. And I didn't want it. I wasn't ideally suited for it or equipped for it. It wasn't in my wheelhouse. And I went there. When I got there, I, I, I talked to the pastor of the church where we were going to be there. And I, I had to work, but I was, I was in ministry. And I said, you know, I've got to find a job. And I was looking for jobs in the field that I had been working in, which was in the electronics field. And uh, he said, well, listen, I've got a deacon who has a business that's about 30 miles away from here, uh, but he owns a John Deere tractor dealership. Now, if you know me, Man, I'm not, I'm not geared towards that. I'm not mechanically inclined. In fact, you know, back in the days when they had self-service gas pumps and they weren't to regular pumps, I had to get somebody to show me how to do it. I, I'm just not mechanically inclined. And, uh, and so I, I said, well, that's not, that's not my thing. He says, just, just go talk to him. won't hurt you to go talk to him. So I went to talk to him, and I got there, and... and and he said, well, it's, it's a job working at the parts counter, and, and uh, you know, you'll be helping people with everything from lawnmowers to combines, just this huge, massive thing. And most of these people that you'll be working with are farmers who depend on this for, your, for, for, for their income. So you've got to really make sure that you do it right. And I said, well, you know, thanks for showing it to me. It's not really something that, 
that I'd be interested in. You know, I, it's, not my, it's not my gifting. It's not my area. And he said, well, just pray about it. I said, okay. And I got in my car and I started driving the 30 minutes back to where I was going to be living. And as I was driving back, I was about halfway back, and I just felt the presence of God so strong. And I felt like God said to me, hey, didn't you say you were going to pray about that? And I'm like, well, God, <laughs> you, know, you, you know me. You wired me. You put me together. You know this isn't my strength. You know this isn't my thing. And God says, but you told him you were going to pray about it. <sighs> okay. God, you don't want me to take that job at the John Deere dealership, <laughs> do you? And God said, yes, I do. Guys, I worked that job. I would drive to work, and every week I would pray this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would pray, God, your grace is sufficient for me. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. There wasn't a day that I went to that job that I looked forward to it. I'll just be honest with you. It was a trial. It was a tribulation. It was one of the hardest periods of time that I worked through. And, and God blessed me there. I went, I, within just a few weeks, when I was probably a couple months, I became the manager there of the, of the, the parts department. And God blessed me, and I, I did it. But it was, it was all him. It was all him. And let me, tell you, let me tell you what this did in my life. All right? I didn't like this, but God was preparing me for the future. And to be honest with you, I learned so much about trusting God in those moments in that hardship. And even while I was going through it, it was a struggle, it was painful. And when I look back and I think about it, even in this moment, I can feel that, that tightness in my chest and that struggle. I can remember what it felt like to pray on the way, God, you're going to have to help me. And then I remember praying on the way back, God, let me take all the stress off of my heart so that I don't take it into Vicky when I get home. It was that every day. Six days a week. Boom, going in. And it was tough. But I tell you, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now, right now, had I not gone through that. That was Bible college. That was more Bible college than Bible college was. <laughs> it was. I'm telling you. God worked in my life through that. You never know what God is doing in those moments. Even when you're going through the trials and the tribulations. This isn't in my note, but I need to camp here for a second. You may be going through something right now that's preparing you for the miracle that God has for your life. And you need to do it with joy. You need to find joy in the journey. Because not every day is waking up and it's pie cake and roses. Sometimes we go through difficult things because this is a broken world. But God will use those difficult things that you're walking through to take you to the next level of where he wants you to be as a believer. That's what he's doing. That's what he's working in our life. Right? I learned so much to this. Paul says, man, I, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. See, this is something you learn it's a mindset. You train your mind, your heart, your, your spirit, your attitude. You have learned. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, the truth is, by nature, guys, we're not grateful. By nature, we're not. No, we're sinners. We have to train our mind. We have to learn the secret of being content. 
I love what the scripture says, Ecclesiastes 6, 9. The Bible says, better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Better what God has put before you than always letting your mind rove and look for other things, something more. Better the blessings that are right here than longing for what I wish I had, but I don't. You know, half the time, the truth is, is we've become so spoiled that even when we get what we want, we can't even enjoy it because we've already moved on and we're thinking about the next thing we want. What a struggle. Better for what the eyes see than a roving of the appetite. Here's what the Bible says. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better what the eyes see than a roving of the appetite. The next time you say, hey, you know what? I'm sick of my car. Instead, you need to get a different perspective and say, God, I thank you that I have a car. Because I have a car that I can drive. I'm in the top 3 to 5% of the wealthiest people in the whole world. Man, I thank you, Lord, that I have transportation. Or when you start to think, you know what? My house is too small. No, instead, God, I thank you. I've got a toilet. Mm -hmm. I've got air conditioner. I've got a heater. I've got water running inside my house, right? I'm thankful, God, for all that you've given me. Well, I really don't like my job, and I don't like the people I work with or whatever. God, I'm thankful that in a place where a lot of people are looking for a job, God, you've given me one. Well, I don't like this about my body. God, thank you that I'm healthy and I have this day. Thank you for my friends. Thank you not just for the material things, but Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you took a person who didn't deserve it. You know what I deserved? The Bible said, for the wages of sin is... That's what I deserved. I blew it, man. I, I've, I've messed up so much in my life, guys, just like you have. What did we deserve? We deserved death. There was nothing that I could do other than die to pay for that debt. But God loved me so much that even in my sin, and even before I even realized it, he had sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to pay my debt, the debt that I owed, the debt that I, I deserved to pay. I didn't deserve his grace. I didn't deserve what he did. Lord, thank you, God, for transforming my life. Thank you, God, for all the blessings that you've sent. Thank you for what you're doing in my life today. Thank you that I have a hope for every moment. When I get out of bed, I thank you that I have another day to breathe and to love people and to maybe make a difference in the world around me. Thank you that I have a family that I can love and be, be in relationship with. Thank you for great friends and a great church. Gratitude. The, the forgotten virtue of gratitude. Bow your heads with me. Father God, I just thank you for your presence here. I've sensed it from the moment I walked in. Lord, as we take this time to come before you, Lord, just forgive us for any ungratefulness. Lord, have mercy on us for our spirit of entitlement. Change us, O oh God that we would never complain when we see that you've blessed us beyond what we could imagine. God, help us to be grateful, not just for what we have, but most of all for who you are and who we have. 
God, forgive us for our ingratitude. Help us to be the one, not just to feel gratitude, but to show it. To show it to you, show it to the people around us. God, help us to turn every blessing that you pour out into praise. God, with your help, we will be the one. So as our heads are bowed this morning, just take a moment. Be honest. If you see any ingratitude in your heart, any ungratefulness, would you just say, God, I I want you to forgive me for the spirit of entitlement. God, I confess to you, would you forgive me for my ungratefulness? If that's you, would you just lift your hands up right now? I just want to pray for you. All over the room, so many hands. Yeah, go ahead and put them down. God, I thank you that in this series, you are planting within us these forgotten virtues of the world that are so important to you. And God, we humbly confess that we are ungrateful and we can be ungrateful. Forgive us, O oh God. God, give us extreme spiritual gratitude for what you've put in front of us. Give us eyes to see the blessings of the relationships around us. God, the blessings of the church. The blessing of the fact that we get to worship freely where we are. The blessing of being in a church that's reaching people. And the blessings of your presence and the the power of your Holy Spirit. God, forgive us for complaining when we have so much and believe the lie that we have so little. God, change us from an entitled generation to one that is overwhelming and overflowing with an attitude of deep gratitude and worship to you, Lord. And as we stay in an attitude of prayer, you might recognize, you know what? I've never really had an overwhelming gratitude towards God. Why do you think that is? Well, one of a couple of reasons is either you've never really gotten to know him or you truly don't understand what he's offering you. You see, Jesus came to pay our price, to redeem us. The word redeem means to restore something to its natural intent. God looked at us in our brokenness. He saw us doing things that dishonored him. He saw us living in ways that was hurting ourselves and hurting people around us. He saw us in our brokenness and he loved us in spite of ourselves. He loved us. He cared about us. And so he came up with a plan. And the plan was to send Jesus to pay the price, to give us an opportunity to be in heaven with him forever, to have our past forgiven, to give us a hope for our future and a way to live our lives today. And maybe you're here and you know him, but you don't really know him that well. Or maybe you're here and you've never said yes to him and invited him to be the Lord of your life. Today's the day to make that step. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to pray for you. If you say, that's me, Robert, would you pray for me this morning? Can I just see your hand wherever you are? Nobody's looking around. It's just me and you. Thank you so much. I want you to pray a prayer with me right where you are. Just say, dear Jesus, 
Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus. Help me to live my life for you so that I can live out the plan that you have for me as best as I know how. I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's my prayer for us. My prayer for us this week is that we would start to think about these forgotten virtues, the ones that we thought were so much a part of our life and actually when we examine our hearts, they're not there near enough. That God would change us, that we would change our mindsets, that we would begin to take captive our thoughts and bring them into obedience to Christ and that God would do this work in our hearts so that we could walk in the joy and the plan that he has for us. Amen? Amen. I want to pray one more prayer, a prayer of blessing as you go. If you would, raise your hands. Father, it's my great joy as a pastor to speak a blessing over every person that's here. Father, I bless them in Jesus' name. I pray that you would grant them wisdom in all that they do, that they would walk in wisdom according to your word. Lord, I pray that your anointing would be on their life, that you would give them anointing in everything they do. Give them favor, Lord God. Bless them, Lord. In their, in their endeavors. Bless them in the things that you're leading them in. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give them divine appointments that they could tell other people the story of what you've done in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.